0: The Nuffield Department of Medicine teamed up with Science Oxford Live for their healthy season in spring 2013. Professors Stefan Knapp and Chaz Bountre answered your questions on drug development. Have you really got a model for how
1: this ought to work?
0: We do have a model and we are pushing it. uh, what we've done is we've created what we call a public-private partnership. So, in other words, we have lots of public funding, but we also have <coughs> private funding from a number of private organisations, GSK, Pfizer, etc. So, we create this pot of money and resource and expertise, etc. What we're saying is that we are now going to generate molecules that we can give to patients, and we're going to take them all the way into patients but completely in the absence of IP. We are hoping to, well, we will generate clinically validated targets. So in other words, a protein that we know is going to do something in patients. It's that one in ten. We're going to identify that one in ten, and we're going to give it to industry. So industry can then work on that target. They can do what they're good at, and that's come up with a very good molecule at that target. They will have a de-risk target. fast-track it through clinical development, patients will benefit and industry will benefit.
1: The patient population for which we develop medicine is getting smaller all the time because we realize of the complicated genetics and the diversity of the diseases so now you have also from a business point of view the possibility to declare something which is called an orphan drug that means if you have a disease that is not treated by by any medication and a company would have in the open a new medicine developed, uh, this product would still be protected by exclusivity for at least five years. I also wanted to just comment on,
0: there has been a lot of stuff in the press
1: recently about
0: publication of negative findings. Steph and I enjoy some tremendous support from very senior people here in the university. I should also have said that we have been very much supported by the Wellcome Trust and the Wellcome Trust are very keen on you know this is a charity uh, and all the research they fund they want it to be shared with the world quickly and rapidly etc they've uh, also introduced a journal where they are happy to accept this sort of negative data etc so that's great I should also say that um, I have to compliment the vision of GSK. So, some of the most senior people in GSK, you know, they absolutely get it. They realize they can't carry on the way they are. They realize they can't do this on their own. And they realize that, you know, they need to open up. So, where this whole, pr- many of the projects that Steph and I uh, are working in, I have to say GSK has been one of the leading funders. You spoke about the, all the research institutes, the, 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 the commercial research institutes, so Sandwich and so on, closing down. Yes. Are they closing down in the UK and relocating to other places which are cheaper, or are they just closing? They are closing, and they are relocating to jurisdictions that uh, are cheaper today, so like China like India, like Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's a cost reason. But the primary reason for relocating to those jurisdictions is the size of the market. You know, because the companies are not coming up with new drugs, one way to retain their sales is to get their old drugs out to more patients. Now, Andrew Whitty, who's the CEO of GSK, made a, wrote an article a couple of years ago and he said this in 2020 in China there will be 720 million middle-class Chinese who will be willing to pay for their own medicines. In India in 2020 there will be 220 million middle-class Indians willing to pay for their own medicines. In 2020, the population of the UK will be, what, 65, 70 million? And we all hate paying for our own medicines. That's why these companies are relocating. I just want to make a point about this um, shifting of R&D infrastructure into markets like India and China, which I, I, I think one of the big deals is actually access to top-notch scientists. And now you might not agree that there, there's not enough of that available in the UK, but uh, I think that's a very big factor, and actually access to markets, it helps a bit, but it's not as big a deal. You can go and sell your stuff in China, and we've been doing it for donkey's years, Um, but you can get uh, some really top-notch science there. I agree that there are some very talented scientists in China, and they are producing Uh, loads more PhDs, and we are probably ten times as many PhDs as us. But, you know, uh, but I still think the fundamental problem is our understanding of human disease. And I think we need to do a lot more clinical research.
1: Is there something to be said for slowing or stopping research on diseases of of old age? Um, for example, Alzheimer's and instead concentrating on scanning the genome. Our ability to predict this are very limited so um, you you have different types of genetic diseases one is you have a dominant mutation and this is evident in the pedigree and you know that uh, to a certain probability somebody in your family would get this and then you have Association with a disease that is uh, very complex, or let's say, a probability of getting a disease, and we we have been trying to do this with what we call genome-wide association studies. It means these are these are just uh, mutations or small changes in your genome that will, to a certain extent, predict um, uh, the occurrence of a disease maybe later in life. But uh, it is very, very difficult to, uh, let's say, look at a, at a genome sequence of a young person and predict with a certain probability if this person would develop uh, Alzheimer or cancer or anything in, uh, later.
0: One of the things we're starting to get a slightly better understanding of now is how the environment affects us. So, you know, so how stress and diet and exercise etc. I was just sort of thinking through what you were saying about people reacting differently to a drug. I mean that must mean that for a long time doctors have been prescribing things that don't work and like nobody's really admitted it. Is that right? Simply because we're all so very different.
1: On one hand there is genetics that tells us already now for a number of uh, drugs that are uh, patients having different side effects with uh, being exposed to a molecule but as just pointed out there is also uh, something above genes like an epigenetic regulator and mechanism that makes us differently, uh, make us react differently to these molecules. So what
0: that indicates is a lot of wastage in the NHS of drugs that aren't working like I've uh, never done that sort of analysis, but my clinical friend sitting at the back may wish to call me. <laughs> <Go> on, <mate. laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. A lot of drugs work in 70% of people. And if you're working 30%, then it's completely wasted. And the big challenge is to be able to predict beforehand whether you'll be the responder or the non-responder. And we're getting close there, but we can't do it. Folks are going so to they're not deliberately wasting money usually, but they just, they just, it's a, it's a lottery. At the point where the conversation has moved into the audience fully, <laughs> then that, that means that, uh, that my work here is done. Um, so, so continue, continue these conversations.